Hi, and welcome to Faculty Focus, a podcast supporting the clinical education community in Leicester. We bring you Educator CPD, showcase new initiatives, and shine a light on some of the faculty behind it all. In this episode, Hussein and I discuss role models and related subjects. Role modelling is known about in medical education, but difficult to define and implement. It is often left to the hidden curriculum where learners look to mimic actions and behaviours. Hussein struggles to recall specific role models from his training, but points out how the term role model can be conflated with mentor or supervisor and distinguishes the role between a role model and a behavioural one. We link to social learning and the process of socialisation or professionalisation of medical students into doctors and development of self-identity. What is the influence of role modelling on diversity and representation? And is assimilation into the profession in tension with this? We hope you leave today reflecting on behaviours of you and those around you and the impact of role modelling on your career. I've got a new setup today, so hopefully it all works. <laughs> what have you been up to? Oh, you know, sitting down, standing up. No, I'm. I'm. We're in separate rooms for this podcast, and I'm sat in quite a nice room with a view of the sky, which I've not had the pleasure of this last week. I've been in a windowless reporting room. It used to have windows, but then it got the windows got built in front of, and so now they've replaced the windows with big light boxes. Yeah, to simulate the sun. Give you a bit of vitamin D. Yeah, well, I don't know. I hope so. It's a shame when the weather's as good as it is. These are the sacrifices we make for... Any new interesting slides? Every slide is as interesting as the last. It's like a painting, isn't it? <laughs> you should get them printed up and put them on yeah. your walls at home. <laughs> well, in the Royal College of Pathologists, the, the new one, the bathrooms have printed histology behind the toilets, which is uh, great. Um, yeah, it is nice. Interestingly, in the ST1 recruitment process, one of the stations is to look at uh, a painting, like like an art painting, and to describe it. To sort of just get your um, technical terms. Yeah, the process of, of, you know, it's the same, I guess, throughout medical school when they tell you it's a skill to describe something over the phone to someone else uh, who isn't there seeing the same thing as you. Yeah, it's challenging. Oh, great. Yeah, that's, um, it's, got my, it's got me thinking, actually. Yeah. Mm. Something I could incorporate somehow into some teaching somewhere. I'll, I'll love that one. <laughs> Thanks very much. Good idea. I've, been, uh, I've just been, um, yeah, like you say, weather's been good. Barbecue's out. Trying to, different recipes on the smoker. Um, just trying to oh. do all that sort of stuff. Got a big barbecue coming up in a month's time. So going to try and impress some people. So... so- the smoking of meats is is a even quite a, an elaborate art, I think. Like, do you have the temperature probes in the yeah I've got, in the meat and it's... I got a couple of those. Yeah, uh, I got one. Got one of those uh, wireless ones for my birthday last year. So very keen to sort of get that one out again. But I got a couple of other ones. So yeah, you got to get the temperature right. Um, it's pretty forgiving, to be fair. I hope so. You know, if it doesn't quite work, you can always stick it in the oven at a low temperature for a bit. <laughs> but the smoke flavours on at least. So <laughs> I just admitted that on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what what have you been smoking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
are going to be using cherry wood. I used apple wood last year. So far, I've just done ribs. I've got okay. a big shoulder shoulder pork to do in a few weeks, and then um, yeah, I just want to try some other stuff, but maybe some fish. And interestingly, cheese. You can do a cold smoke oh. uh, with the harder cheeses. You can um, infuse them with uh, a bit of smoky flavour. So I'll give that a go. Maybe on a cooler day. They tend to melt through the grill otherwise. So. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I'm pretty hungry now. Shall we just hit pause? and? Well, yeah, let's get into get it. Some food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So whilst our stomachs are rumbling, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about role models. Role modelling is something that's used a lot in, well, in society, really, um, but also within education, and specifically within medical education. So we're going to explore the topic of role modelling and just get into it a little bit deeper, really, talk about some some questions that maybe aren't always asked when we talk about role modelling and see where it takes us. So uh, I think just before we go into it, I just um, wanted to know if you had any significant role models in your past, maybe good or bad, because you know, I suppose you can mm. have role models, but um, well, whilst you're thinking about it, mine is, um, I think it was my my educational supervisor, really, when I was coming through training. So, yeah, she was, she was a very, you know, reflective, willing to explore, explore different ideas, uh, you know, advocated when necessary for me, uh, was very respected amongst her colleagues. So, um, so yeah, so that was, it's kind of one of the more significant role models for the last 10 years for me. How about yourself? I, I was thinking about it. And um, to continue on the theme of me sabotaging everything, I can't, I can't pin down, you know, one person who, you know, demonstrated all the skills and behaviours that um, have stayed with me. Cer- certainly, you know, when I was thinking about histopathology i went on taster days and there were there was a consultant who inspires probably too too big a word but that I, I saw in him traits that reflected something of what of, of what i wanted to be like when i grew up but i'd struggle to to pin down one person and say yes this is this is my role model particularly professionally i mean of course in in other ways, you know, family members and, but yeah, I've struggled. Negative role models. I can I can certainly think of people who, you know, throughout medical school, throughout training, I've seen the way they go about things or interact with people and thought, yeah, that's something that I want to avoid. Perhaps they stay with you more because it's it's quite jarring when you come across an experience like that. I don't know. Oh, so tell me that. I'd have to think about it a bit more. I'm intrigued with so so with, with your the person you mentioned as a role model. That was your you said educational supervisor, so someone who was assigned to you and yeah, it was yeah. I suppose it's quite lucky in that respect. Obviously, it's in a sort of senior position compared to me, um, but yeah, just just assigned at the beginning of yeah uh, specialist training. Well, one of the things with role modeling is it's quite difficult to define. I think, and it's quite difficult to pin down. And, and one of the things that often gets distinguished between is role models and mentors. As you can tell, I'm feeling in a challenging mood today. But I don't know if someone if someone is assigned to you in a supervisor role, are they can they be a role model, or are they always a mentor, or can they be both? Is there a difference? 
yeah i mean there's there's concepts like coaching um that come in as well mentoring coach mentoring also one of those terms that can mean lots of different things to different people yeah i think i think they were in a position of a mentor or well it's a supervisory relationship isn't it um but there were elements of their i guess their behavior or their attitudes that yeah i felt were things i would like to emulate or or build on really but it's interesting you 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 mentioned in an earlier conversation you've done sort of role modeling was a big part of your uh, masters in education yeah and you were talking about some distinctions in the definitions but also you know whether we conflate different things within that title of role model yeah i just wondered if you had a way of sort of summing some of that up or sort of yeah. taking us through some of those elements it's tough yeah i mean i i, I should preface it by saying i'm in in no way an authority on this uh, maybe one day but yeah i did i it was part of my master's project was looking at role modeling in particular in in minority ethnic undergraduate students so a deep dive into role modeling if you will and yeah it's it's difficult so you know just to to pull up a couple of examples of the problem the definitions in a lot of the papers so one of the big ones the big systematic reviews says that a role model is a faculty member who demonstrates clinical skills models and articulates expert thought processes and manifests positive professional characteristics which when you break it down what's that saying that's saying that it has to be a faculty member so it has to be someone who's in a position of authority they have to demonstrate positive professional characteristics to kind of negate any negative traits and it, it talks about articulating expert thought so it, it suggests that it's an a- active process there that the role model is somehow you know aware that they're a role model and consciously demonstrating thought and processes that that others can emulate and then you have definitions that are much more some you know vague and just say someone who in the performance of a role is taken as an example by others so we're, we're kind of struggling to define this concept I don't think we'll get much further with it in this podcast. I don't think we're going to pin down the exact phraseology of a role model, but in other spheres of literature, that there is actually a distinction between behavioral models and role models. So behavioral models being people that others wish to learn from, and it doesn't specify if they're in the faculty, if they're in the same profession as you or, or, or anything. Whereas a role model, fundamentally, you would identify a role model on the basis of social comparison. So you're actively seeking someone who compares to you in some way. It could be anyone who demonstrates skill you want to emulate. Yeah. And really, it's about self-reflection. You're, you're, you're seeing an ideal version of yourself reflected back at you from, from, some, from someone um, and I quite like that because that kind of takes the, the definition away from the role model being this kind of perfect individual who demonstrates perfect traits that you just want to be like. And in fact, it's much more about you as an individual and the person that you want to be, the way that you want to fit into a team and, and really seeing the people around you, seeing the positive traits that you want to incorporate and also seeing the negative things that you want to avoid. And then, as, as I alluded to, the distinctions between that and a mentor, I think that's relatively straightforward because in a mentorship role, both people are conscious of the interaction. You know, so I, I, you'd perhaps argue that someone in an educational supervisor role 
knows that they are in a position of influence, whereas a role model perhaps is not conscious of that. A role model could be anyone just going about their day who is perceived as, as having positive or negative traits by someone else. That's a good point, actually. Yes, I would imagine role models don't often know that they are seen as a role model. I mean, it's not the sort of thing that people come up to and say, oh, by the way, you're my role model, unless they see someone <laughs> famous or, uh, like you say, talking about someone on the telly or whatever. But, um, it hasn't yeah. happened to me yeah. yet. <laughs> overcome with this uh, this desire to declare your uh, enthusiasm <laughs> but yeah it's interesting what you say about um, how individuals may actually already be looking for someone who's emulating those behaviors they already kind of want to develop themselves and in that respect it's self-selecting you know you select out people like you or further ahead exactly. of you who are like you who then maybe validate the fact that you think, oh, actually, I can still progress in this career or in this um, this area with the beliefs and attitudes I already have, because mm. I can see someone in that position already, which which actually then um, I think is a major handicap for when you're talking about it in education, because you think, well, okay, we all have the role model, professionalism, and all these behaviours and attitudes when you know, when we interact with patients, when we interact with other professionals, but do we actually have the influence? through exhibiting these behaviors to change those who maybe aren't aligned with the, the things that we value. So, you know, me as a consultant, I conduct myself in a certain way in the clinical environment. People who like to do that will say, okay, I'd like to be a bit like that, or I like that element of it. But there may be people who think, well, I don't believe in that particular way of speaking to patients or taking consent or asking for help, or whatever. And actually, I, I don't know what influence you have to, is role modeling that powerful if people are already self-selecting out the things they, they particularly want? Are we actually changing anything or are we just reinforcing things that are already there? Exactly. Within, within the literature, the, the majority of the papers this, in medical education literature with regards to role modeling are exploring the traits of a role model. And there's paper after paper that categorizes a role model as having um, good personal qualities, so I think, you know, communication skills, dealing with, with patients and with colleagues in a, in a positive, compassionate way, clinical acumen, so demonstrating a knowledgeable approach to patient management and teaching skills. And actually, when you take a step back, it, it doesn't really mean anything. You're just describing a good person who is good at their job and, and who wouldn't want to emulate that. So if you already want to be a good clinician, then actually that research doesn't tell us much. You know, a good clinician wants to be like other good clinicians. And yeah. it, I, I think it, yeah, it kind of avoids the intricacies behind it, which is, which is about self-identity and how we fit into a, into a community. And as you rightly say, if those characteristics are already so self-selecting, then does role modeling serve much of a purpose? other than confirming that good doctors want to be good doctors. I think it does, and we'll get onto it later, I imagine. But yeah. it's, 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 a, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. I think the, the, the power of role modelling lies in other places. Clearly a really complex part of learning and developing as an individual, isn't it? I mean, it, it all comes out of the sort of social learning, learning from people around you and not explicit. You know, we, when we talk about teaching and learning, we often talk about it in a the content of how to be a good doctor, what are the not, what's the knowledge, what are the skills involved? 
in doing a procedure or taking a history or coming up with a management plan. But this part of it is very, it, it is much more interacting with people around you. It's it's awful. It's, it's quite hidden yeah. in some respects. It's that hidden element of the curriculum. We don't often have sessions which, um, or maybe at medical school, we talk about professionalization and being a professional. But um, I, I would imagine a lot of that actually happens in the ward and around peers essentially yes yeah. you know whether they be equals or, or seniors this interaction with your social environment is what starts to form your what your self-identity is you know as a as a clinician exactly and and just in in that sentence we've kind of dismantled that the, the first definition i gave because when you asked me if i had role models and i said <laughs> not really I, I do think back to, you know, my clinical partner at medical school or other peers at medical school and seeing the way that they went about taking a history and thinking, oh, actually, I like the way they asked that question or, or I like the way they moved around the bed or arranged the furniture. And that's role modeling. That's, as, as, you, as, as you say, you know, that's not something that's been explicitly taught. Um, and it's, it's based in social learning. And Yeah, I think there's a you, lot of probably a lot of examples of events or episodes that have resulted in a change in your attitude or a yeah something you've clocked and it may be that the individual isn't particularly important it's the <laughs> behavior they've exhibited or the um the thing that they've done that is the that's the thing you want to emulate not the not the person if you like um that's 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 a sentence that i can get on board with <laughs> it's not the individual that's important yes <laughs> but exactly exactly like i i probably i can't define that memory in my mind of who did it and when and in what circumstance but you know i can certainly have, I have a vague memory of a clinician talking to a patient with hearing impairment and and rather than shouting in their ear standing face on at their level so the patient could see the clinician's lips moving and and that i was like you know that's great that's a level of of nuance in their professional uh, behaviors that that i liked and i wanted to carry forward don't carry it forward so much in pathology but um things like that but i could I tell you the name of that person? No. Could I tell you what ward it was? No. No, I take that. I, and that, yeah, that makes more sense, doesn't it? It's these isolated events, which together, I, I suppose, if an individual provides or shows, demonstrates many of those sort of episodes, then I suppose they then become seen as a role model because they've, you know, so many occasions they're they're providing those exactly demonstrable um behavior so yeah and, and because there there is another phenomenon which is which is less catchy than role modeling which is mimetic learning at work and I, I think all these things that we're talking about fit into into that and how we copy others not in the context of a role model or a mentor or a supervisor there's there's not that as much research on mimetic learning certainly not in in clinical education but i think that sort of sees it from the perspective of the learner rather than from the perspective of these authoritative figures demonstrating perfect characteristics yeah and uh, yeah I, I i find that captures a lot of these themes but i think the the social learning theory was it is something that's come out of you know, Vygotsky's social development theory and um, there's, there's work on situated learning. And that essentially, if, if you want to read 
more about those elements, there's, there's certainly links we can put into the podcast notes to give you a little bit more around the, you know, what is social learning? Because it can be one of those things difficult to describe, but role modeling really does feature quite strongly in, yeah, yeah. in that. The the paper you've mentioned, that's is that the B the BME guide. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put the link to that in our notes yeah, as well. Yeah. So, and that's interesting. And what's also comforting to some degree is the fact that the BME guide itself is, you know, leaves it quite open-ended at the end. Um, and this is a fairly comprehensive review of, you know, doctor role modeling in medical education. And yeah. even they, despite reviewing all the evidence, that systematic review, uh, find it quite difficult to nail down and, and sort of point to yeah. specific examples about how we can use this in medical education. So yeah, we'll, we'll stick those in in the show notes. I've got a question though. Um, we've often seen role models being someone senior, but have you ever seen sort of a, a more junior person? Again, I'd, I'd struggle to pinpoint exact memories. I'm, I'm starting to worry actually that I've blocked out a lot of my memories from <laughs> medical school and F1 and F2. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can I can think of definitely peers throughout. You know, uh, surgical jobs, for example. Not only with patient interaction, but with the way that peers would deal with the interdisciplinary team, with the surgeons, for example, with the MDT, and think that's the way to do it. That's I, I like the way that they're calmly dealing with, with a situation which could become tense. Also, not just other doctors, but and, and this is something that's, that occasionally pops up in the literature, but how medical students are influenced by members of the nursing profession, particularly in relation to dealing in an empathetic way with patients and families. It's, it's, uh, and I certainly remember A&E jobs where I'd see the way that, you know, the sister in charge would deal with potentially difficult situations and think, you know, wow, how I, I'm going to have to try to do some of that next time, failing miserably, but still having that as a you know, high-stressed, high-pressure environments, dealing with situations in an empathetic, empathetic and caring way. Yes, because you don't often, as a doctor, you don't have those prolonged periods with patients on wards. Yeah. You know, you're moving between different wards, you're doing your ward rounds, you're running off to other parts of the hospital. So maybe there's a role for that nursing as a career has stuff to offer because it... it you know, it allows for longer time periods with patients to build exactly. relationships. And so, yeah, it's really powerful when you can see that the the product of that individuals within nursing seem to have a, a better way with, with patients, certainly than, than I did. Um, and, and you're right, you, you take those little episodes, you think, I've got to see if I can incorporate that into yeah. what I do. So that's interesting. Yes, between professions. And, and that actually touches on another point, which is the sort of transient and and fleeting interactions that we have mean that you know you're on a let's say f1 job you're on a ward for four months medical school you're on a rotation for you know a matter of weeks actually the people who become identified as role models because the period of interaction is so short are the ones who are the most visible the most sort of socially visible so i just mentioned the sister in charge and i i, I can think back and and see them stood in the most visible location in A&E with a, with a personality that made them visible. But of course, if you only have transient fleeting interactions with people, there will be countless others around who are no doubt demonstrating skills and behaviors that are equally, I'm going to make up a word here, 
emulatable. <laughs> <laughs> nice word. <laughs> yeah. But it, 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 you go over here. You just won't come into contact with, you know. So, so, so we're always drawn to the consultant in the clinic. We're always drawn to the to the senior reds leading the ward round because they're they're the socially visible ones. But role models will be overlooked in 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 other places, which is which is why that I think that sometimes the concept of a role model is is unhelpful because we're just pointing out people who are already visible. Yeah, absolutely. When we sort of spoke about this before, one of the things that we mentioned was that there's a, there's a power dynamic in often because there's a sort of hierarchy. Um, and so that's why maybe we don't remember the, as many episodes of when someone more junior to us comes across as a, a role model. But there's certainly events that you think that, that make us think, actually, that that's a behavior I'd like to emulate. Um, but we don't see them put them in that category as a role model. Um, there is an element, there is a part that you know, I was reflecting on this concept of role modeling and behaviors and I, and I thought, well, one of the things I really remember from medical school, like one of the first weeks of medical school was that we, this idea of professionalization and creating individuals with um, certain behaviors and approaches and beliefs that when they leave medical school, you fit the role of a doctor, because I always remember them saying, you know, patients will expect to see certain mm -hmm. things in a doctor, whether in the clinic or, or in the hospital, and it always stuck with me and I always, and then, you know, as it come into the later parts of my training, I was thinking, well, there are a mixture of behaviors. There's so many different behaviors, attitudes, ways of looking at things that this idea of professionalization is in tension with, you know, diversity and divergent sort of behavior. It's not divergent in a way that's disruptive, but there are a range of different behaviors, which are okay, but maybe they don't fit that, you know, 20 years ago when I was in yeah. med school, don't fit that idea of what a doctor should be you know a lot changes over that time period and it just it made me think well it's a balance isn't it you need to yeah. rationalize someone to exhibit a certain set of behaviors but also allow for those different bits to come in and i wonder whether that's where some of those divergent behaviors maybe they maybe they're seen as problems or maybe they're not as problematic yeah. uh, i don't know exactly no it, it's such an interesting concept as well because we're already you know medical school thankfully more more and more there's the encouragement of application from from diverse backgrounds but in order to to get to jump through the hoops of medical school application you have to demonstrate certain certain characteristics you know there's an interview process you you, you have to be affable and friendly and all these sorts of things which are of course positive um, but then you're right, you go through medical school and the people who you encounter, there, there's there's a degree of homogenization of the medical population because of what society has, has determined a, a, a doctor should should be like. And of course, that's important because a patient has to be able to trust someone who is who's going to operate on them or put them to sleep in your case or um, look at a bit of their bowel in my case. But it is interesting. To to what extent do we diminish other divergent behaviours, and but we what are we losing out on? What are we missing out on? And that I guess ties in also to the need for diverse role models because of sort of non changeable characteristics. So like I said, with my project was role modelling minority ethnic students, and and you'll you'll often see headlines saying we need diverse role models, 
so that people from diverse communities can feel as though they belong in the profession and that they can progress and succeed within the profession. And of course, that is critically important. Even, you know, not that long ago, when I was at medical school, there weren't that many people who shared the same, you know, characteristics as, as me. But of course, it's nuanced because, you know, when you think about negative role models, I can actually think of people who are from the same ethnic background as me, who on paper, it would, they should have picked all the boxes. But actually, just because we assumed that we had similarities, when you get into it, you actually discover that they, I didn't like the way they talked to patients or I they would ask me certain things that, that culturally we didn't have in common. So... It's, it's nuanced and complex, and, and the need for diversity doesn't just stop with the obvious non-changing external characteristics. It, it's, I think it's much deeper than that. Yeah, and I, I, the other thing is it's, it's, it's good to have diversity, but if those individuals who are the sort of face of that diversity are just being assimilated into the pervading norms, then is that, um, exactly. that really, is that really diversity? I mean, you certainly need the visual, you know, that people need to see diversity in those that are treating them and uh, and in the healthcare system. But if there if there's this active process of making you into a certain mould, then yeah. it, it almost it, there's a balance there. It, it sort of goes almost against that that element that exactly. kind of yeah that assimilation into the role. Yeah, um, maybe something gets lost. Yeah, exactly. And it's so much. But you know, it's 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 the way people talk and eat and dress and attitudes towards everything from religion to music to you know family. And this is perhaps why, coming back to, the, to what we said at the start, it's difficult to define and it's difficult to say this is a role model for, for these students. You know, that that's kind of the to minimize it to its absolute absurd line at the bottom. It's like we need diverse models so that. When this student comes in, they can look up to this person. And of course, life and culture and ethnicity and sexuality and approaches to religion and family mean that that simple equation might work, but it, it's, it's unpredictable. And it's, yeah, that cultural difference can come across really clearly isn't, um, when you're in the work in the clinical spaces, because you can, you can see the difference that certain cultures will treat other cultures, won't you? And, and you won't be aware of all the other norms of every exactly. culture you enter. But when you look at a curriculum, they talk about certain parts of how you interact with the patient or how you go about your work. And maybe that doesn't fit every single culture. Maybe yeah. there are different, but, but it's written in the curriculum or it's written in a, a learning outcome of sorts. And, and I, I think back. Sorry, I think back to, to when when you have certain clinicians who can speak the same language as family members. They come in, and you look at the interactions, and the family members want a doctor who is authoritative or saying we're going to do X, Y, Z, and that works for them because of because of the culture. Whereas I would go up and sort of be all well. It's up to you, and it's we can do this and that and the other. You know, it doesn't work. Yeah. I've certainly had experiences like like that for sure. Well, it's a very um, deep topic, uh, Rob. Like, <laughs> I think I think what we've um, you know sort of coming towards the end. I think what I sort of take it away is that role modelling might be self-selecting individuals looking for affirmation or validation of their own attitudes and beliefs. There are there's a multitude. It's it's to do with social learning 
um, there's a multitude of different ways to look at it. Is it individuals or is it behaviours? Uh, and there is a there is a difference. So that individuals may not be the actual thing we're talking about. It's actually behaviours that we want to emulate. And of course, yeah, this does just play into um, professionalisation, socialisation, um, diversity. Uh, so there's a lot a lot there to think about. Only sort of sort of take homes for you. So. Yeah, exactly the same. I, I, it's 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 I think a, a huge and complex domain but it's critically important and it fits into that hidden curriculum as you mentioned and it has a significant impact on who we become professionally and and socially but it's really difficult to define yeah oh that's great well i think we'll um we'll stick some of those papers we've discussed into the show notes thanks to Stane for joining me today and, and having this conversation about ro uh, role models i, I suspect right. there may be um maybe another podcast maybe expanding it out into social learning and some, some sort of social learning theory into practice uh, would be quite good. But, um, but that's pretty much it for today. Thanks for joining us and um, we'll look forward to having you all back on the next podcast. All the best. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Faculty Focus podcast. If you like the episode, please share with friends and colleagues. You can also like and subscribe to the show and perhaps even leave a review. Clinical education can be tough but we're stronger as a community. So if you have an idea for an episode or would like to come on and talk to us, do get in touch via email or Twitter. Details in the show notes. The Faculty Focus Podcast. Community Development Showcase.